tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tonight only on Disney+. Plus. This episode is sponsored by Dashlane. Never forget another password on your computer or iPhone with Dashlane. Get it for free at D-A-S-H-L-A-N-E dot com slash Gilbert. That name sounds familiar. This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. Our guest this week has won seven Emmy Awards, five Golden Globes, and the Screen Actors Guild's Life Achievement Award. He starred in two celebrated TV shows, including what many consider the best situation comedy in television history, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, as well as its Emmy-winning spin-off, Lou Grant. He's had memorable roles in Roots and Rich Man, Poor Man, and has appeared in dozens of movies, including JFK and Pixar's Up, and worked with everyone from John Wayne to Elvis Presley. He may also hold the distinction of playing the role of Santa Claus more times than any other actor. Please welcome a genuine show business legend, Ed Asner. (laughs) 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 Listen, would you like a lozenge, by the way? He needs I'd, like, I'd like to unwrap one for you and <laughs> hand it over. I surely think you could use it. Uh, well, okay. how are you, boyos? Hi. We're good. Welcome. Thanks for doing the show, Ed. We appreciate it. No, with an introduction like that, I'd be a schmuck to miss it. <laughs> now... What is it with you and Santa Claus? Well, he's a chubby fellow, and I, <laughs> you know, I think we got we we got to stick together and and fight for our rights of of order Because, because, like a Jew playing Santa Claus this many times. Well, you know, look what dominated the field of comedy. Uh, in the early part of the 20th century, it was uh, it was always the immigrants. I mean, the Irish had dominated it in, in the 19th century, I guess. But come they come the uh, the 20th century, it's the Jews and the Italians. And uh, and you're talking to a Jew and Italian right now. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I do Santa Claus. I know how to make him real. You played him so many times. I, yeah. mean, I lost count going through IMDb, but of course, famously in the movie Elf. Well, I want everybody to be sure and realize that he's a heterosexual. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, and, and uh, there, there will be irritations and rough spots. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe a little jock itch, who knows? <laughs> What's that? What's you've, that? you've killed Santa Claus for me <laughs> with the jockage part. What? I, I'm, I'm saying I'm now heartbroken that Santa Claus has jockage. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, so, you know, sitting on that goddamn sleigh all day, sweating in those heavy clothes. You've heard of global warming, haven't you? 
<laughs> well, that's that's when the jock gets cropped up. If you'll forgive the expression. I, I didn't realize Santa Claus's sexuality was even in question. No, I didn't say his sexuality. Jockets doesn't question your sexuality. <laughs> it just says that you've been a little overactive and, and not showering enough. <laughs> oh, God. I don't know. Maybe he picked it up from one of his reindeer. Maybe. <laughs> now... Now, you also kicked the shit out of Jack Lemon. Who? Oh, Jack- yeah. Oh, well, that was that was easy. That was easy. <laughs> and, you know, that son of a bitch loved it. Did he? He loved it. <laughs> when, I, when, when, when I hit him the first time, and I, I, I felt very sure I missed him, and he came up, and I saw the goddamn marks on his face. I felt so... So horrible, but he was grinning and he said, "Yeah, it's it's, it's all right, it's all right." So then I did it again, did the the stunt again, and I and I made more more marks. So I I felt like a real turd. We should point out to our listeners that was in the movie JFK. He you were playing uh, Guy Bannister, yeah, a suspected yeah. Uh, conspirator. One of those great Americans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And and looking through uh, your list of movies and TV shows, uh, we realize you were in this movie, uh, the man, the old man who cried wolf. Yeah, yeah. With Edward G. Robinson's, uh, I don't know if. Uh, yeah, Edward G. Robinson. If, if that was his last one. It was close to his last one. And and the great Sam Jaffe too. That's right. They were both in it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Mar- Marty Balsam, I forget, Diane Baker, I think, played the wife. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I played the phony psychiatrist who uh, tries to tell him that he's imagining things. Now, those are three great actors to be with, yeah. Robinson, Jaffe, and Martin Balsam. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so what, could you have any recollections on any of them? Oh, well, well sure, well. Well, I mean, I was awed by the fact that, that uh, Robinson, I was going to be working with Robinson. So Wally Grauman was directing, and uh, what he wanted to do is because he didn't want to have any conflict with Robinson, he staged it all so that Robinson would be on one side of the room and he could photograph him simply there. Robinson came on, saw the setup, he says, why am I stuck over here? I mean, I should be in there mingling. And Grauman threw up his hands. All right, all right. So he then blocked it with Robinson appearing in the midst of the people in the room. Well, as we started to rehearse, the dialogue director, as I started to, to do my lines, kept giving me a hands up, meaning raise, raise my volume, raise my volume meaning that, that uh, uh, Robinson was hard of hearing or deaf, and that for the rehearsal, I should practically shout my lines to him. So I did that. Then comes time to shoot, and he lowers his hands, meaning now talk normally. So uh, it was uh, a strain, but uh, Robinson was, was, you know, he's like me. I'm, you know, I'm at death's door, but I can shout out. I can <laughs> shout out a line that'll make your tuchus tremble. <laughs> your tuchus tremble. It, Trembling it, tuchus is, is my motto. It, it may it's have been turning me on. <laughs> oh well, that's that's not hard to do. <laughs> It may have been one of Robinson's. I think Soylent Green was his last role. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But right, it was one of right. one of his last parts. So was yeah. was he basically easy to work with? Or yeah, he he was no problem. It went very easily. He was a sweet man. And and Sam Jaffe, who we all yeah, remember yeah. from the day the Earth stood still, Doctor Zorba. Yes, and Doctor Zorba, most famous of all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, it went smoothly. I, I don't think the uh, the movie uh, won any awards. Uh, the, uh, the TV movie, 
but uh, it was nice to be with him. You know, Gilbert and I, are obs- we're obsessed, Ed, about the, the, uh, the old ABC movies of the week. We talk about it all the time. Uh, you were in Haunts of the Very Rich with your pal Cloris Leachman, uh, The Girl Most Likely To, written by Joan Rivers, with yeah. Stocker Channing. And when you and I met at The View, we met backstage at The View, and I asked you about a movie called The Last Child with Michael, uh-huh. with Michael Cole, which I remember very well as a kid, and you had, you had very clear memories of it. Yeah, uh, it, it was a futuristic novel. Uh, uh, it, it was like China, where they uh, uh, having babies was limited. I think you, you, I don't even know if you could have one without permission. And it uh, it talks about this. Yeah, I guess they didn't get permission, and she wanted to have this baby. So it's about their trying to avoid capture apprehension. Uh, 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 by the government, so so she can get her baby. And you played the heavy. Yeah. Well, I kind of fit it. Don't <laughs> and and Frank just mentioned Cloris Leachman, who I was I was lucky enough to uh, to work. I I you fucked with her. Yes. Yeah, I fucked oh, Cloris God. Leachman. <laughs> I'm going to see yeah. her in a few days. I'll, I'll bring it up to her. I went down on Cloris Leachman. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, uh, I can say, yeah. Uh, no response. Uh, well, she was, she was uh, Miss Chicago, I think. She was she Miss, was Miss Chicago. Really? I didn't and know boy, that. did I want her. She... I really wanted her. <laughs> you wanted a fuck, uh, Cloris Leachman? What? Yeah, I did. I wanted it so that you know we we uh, we got chummy uh, when we were doing the Mary Tyler Moore show. It's an old story, but it bears repeating. <laughs> and we got real chummy. Of course, the two things Cloris despises in life: smoking and fat. <laughs> and I don't know what the hell she was doing with you, but uh, I guess she ignored it. Uh, Smoking and fat, and so we got warmer and cozier and 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 very very appreciative of each other and, and finally she said, "Okay, now uh we will culminate uh our relationship uh, if you lose thirty pounds <laughs> and uh okay, I said, I will set out to do that <laughs> well." I have to tell you that I lost 29, and I just couldn't hit that 30 mark. I don't know. And I think both of us were very relieved. It it just didn't happen. That's great. Gil, you worked with... Boy, I wanted her. You you worked with Cloris on... uh, On on a roast. Yeah. On one of the roasts. Tell Ed about it. She was terrific. She was very funny. Was that the the Charlie Sheen roast? Uh, uh, No, no, it may have been the Joan Rivers. Yeah, okay. I think. I'm not sure. What are you talking about? No, I just worked with her on a roast. She was terrific. Oh, I see, I see. Well, she's a wildcat. Now, you also... Uh, But uh, I... uh, you know, it's it's amazing how on the Mary Tyler Moore show we had two people with the most distinctive asses in the world. <laughs> Ted, Ted Knight had a duck's ass when he'd button his coat and he'd walk around, and you could see that little shelf sticking out there, and he was just strutting away. And Cloris has Cloris has the most unbelievable buns in the world. She has an ass that that should go into the the Hall of Fame. So, so Cloris Leachman, we we've learned today, Cloris Leachman has a great ass. Yes, and Ted yes. Knight. Ted and Ted she Knight. Has, uh, so the two this people. Is, this, you know, paradise would be the permission to to, to perpetually walk behind Cloris Leachman. <laughs> Or if you can't get hurt, Ted Knight. <laughs> no, well, yeah, I mean, if you feel that way, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Ted, I'll, I'll take Cloris first. Though. Ted Knight, I've heard people say that there was some tension with Ted Knight on the set, or what What was he like to work with? 
Well, Ted, Ted, uh, Ted, Ted was the funniest man I've ever known. I mean, he was brilliant. He was really was, but he was he was also, uh, um, um, goddamn. You see, now names fly out. Uh, paranoid. He was. He he had certain paranoid. So, so in the beginning, when I was winning awards, Emmys, and Golden Globes, and and uh, he he got very dark and and, and gloomy from time to time, and. He said I was buying the awards, and uh, I naturally took it as an insult. And uh, we'd have spats, and then and then every Friday night, uh, Gavin McLeod and, and Ted and and uh, and I and our wives would would all go out and have dinner together at uh, a local restaurant, and we'd love each other very much. But then he'd sink into his paranoia from time to time and uh, it was difficult to counter the the best the most instructive time ever was one time he made some absurd accusation against me and i hated him i just hated him and i i i, I couldn't take it so we did the show friday night did the show he got on and he was as funny as ever I got on there and I flopped like the biggest turd in the world. <laughs> and I, all I could think of was my, was my anger, my my hate. And I, it taught me a lesson. When whatever is going on outside, when you go on the stage, you leave it all outside, and you gotta be sweet and round and perfect. Was it true, Ed? That, that so you got to be like Cloris Leachman's ass. <laughs> yeah. Nice. That dingbat. What? Nice callback on Gilbert's yes. part. <laughs> Ed, do I have this right that I read in, that, that Ted sometimes felt that, that, that people would, uh, would equate him a little too much with his character? Oh, yeah. Well, there's a, there's a great story about that. Uh, I don't know. Maybe the second year of the season, I don't know. And uh, he came in, Alan Burns, one of our creator producers, and he said he wanted to leave the show. And 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 Alan said, "Why?" Well, I said, I, "I just don't like people thinking that I'm I'm that kind of person that Ted Baxter is. Uh, you know, they they can't distinguish between me and and uh, and the acting." And and. Uh, uh, Alan must have worked for at least a half hour convincing him how people did distinguish how they appreciated his value, his greatness as an actor, his uniqueness as, uh, as a comedian, on and on, and finally convinced him to stay. At that moment, Jim Brooks, the other producer, walks in and says, Ted, how does it feel to be the biggest schmuck in the world? <laughs> Nice timing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was it was unbelievable. Hilarious. Just a couple of things about the Mary Tyler Moore show, uh, Ed. Before we move on, and I, I was telling Gilbert uh, about this that the first taping, the what they called the preliminary taping of the show, was actually a disaster. Oh no! Yeah, that was a taping that was uh, on a Tuesday night, and uh, we were to shoot on Friday night, and. Uh, uh, the the show kind of just terribly fell flat. So there was one adjustment made. Uh, Grant Grant Tinker told the two producers fix it. Mary was in tears and all that. So there was only one adjustment made. Our dialogue coach uh, uh, Marge Mullen uh, said that because Valerie was was so ab- abrasive everything. Uh, that uh, uh, Lisa, the daughter of uh, of Chloris in the, in the show, uh, uh, talked about liking her, so they uh, ought to make that more explicit. Well, I I like Aunt Rhoda or whatever. Right. So they put in that line, and that kind of salvaged that 
relationship and softened the abrasiveness of Rhoda. Uh, then when we got to Friday night, uh, it's, it was just that, that, uh, we went out there to, uh, to kill him and we did. And when I got to, uh, you know what? You got spunk. That was in the first scene. Sure. I think it was the first scene. You got spunk. I hate spunk. <laughs> and uh, uh, that audience erupted into the biggest laugh I'd ever heard in my life. You, you play it so beautifully. I watched it today. It's oh. the timing of it, the way you walk up to her and you smile and you draw her in. And then she does the false modesty thing. Yeah. And the yeah, turn of yeah. it is, is – and I understand there was a lot of wrestling with, 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 that, with that scene and that line reading, that it was difficult for a while. It was too, you were doing it too intensely? I don't know. I, I do a lot of things intensely. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and I, I may have – but uh, I don't think I could have been any more intense than what I see on the, on the screen. Yeah. And it, it always seemed like on the show – that there was kind of like every now and then a sexual chemistry between Mary and Lou Grant. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, how perceptive of you to have discovered that. My goodness. Oh, my wonder. I'm going to give you two lozenges. Yes, sir, boy. Oh, that's brilliant. Uh, yeah. No shit. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Well, you, well I, I, unfortunately, I never was able to really reap that crop. Uh, but um, I sure wanted to. They do, they, they do have you sleeping with a happy homemaker, though, in the, in the series. Oh, shut up. <laughs> now, now they, I've heard Mary Tyler Moore had a great ass. She used to wear those pants... On the Dick Van well, Dyke, sure. the, the Capri pants. She had those pants. long legs that ended in those wonderful curves. Yeah, you could you couldn't beat that. <laughs> that that was a hell of a body. <laughs> that famous story of Rob Reiner as a boy grabbing her tush on the set of the Dick Van Dyke show. Oh, did he? Yeah, su- yeah, supposedly, and he was chastised. Yeah, I, I can imagine I that. Heard, uh, they had uh, Mary got really angry and told Carl Reiner. That's right. And Carl Reiner just started laughing. Right. That's the story. <laughs> Carl what? Carl Reiner. Yeah. Yeah, Rob Reiner grabbed, when he was a yeah. kid, grabbed Mary Tyler Moore's ass, and Mary got mad and told his father, Carl yeah. Reiner, and Carl Reiner just started laughing. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, sure. and that's, uh, and we can point at that to say that's where Carl screwed up. <laughs> Tell us From a little bit about where on, Rob Reiner was a lost soul, <laughs> uh, lacking parental discipline. Uh, he then went on. Uh, uh, I don't know how many times he's been accused of rape, pillage. <laughs> And uh, uh, molestation, uh, all of that. Because Carl laughed. <laughs> oh, Lord. Better, better that God should have laughed. Yes. Ed, tell us a little bit about working with Betty, with Betty White. I, I heard you tell a great story about her professionalism, about a scene where Gavin McLeod slams her down oh, yeah. on, on a cake. Yeah. Well, it was where she somehow gets, or Gavin gets assigned to work with her or something, and she finally gets him in this, and we all think he's a schmuck, and, and we, you know, to stop it, don't do it, don't you know, quit it, don't take it, because she unloads on him all the time. And uh, uh, finally she's designing a wedding uh, reception or something with a big cake, and uh, because she can't uh, fit the uh, the wedding gown, uh, whoever is supposed to be fitted on isn't there. She has Gavin put it on so she can fit it to him. And uh, he's wearing this wedding gown, and she's inflicting on him. And uh, uh, finally, so as the scene is written, he uh, picks her up and 
dumps her on the cake. And um, uh, as we shot it, I could hear her ass hit the board underneath the cake. And I knew that it had to hurt her toxic. But she, like a trooper, acted like nothing had happened. And uh, right on the first take, and she then ad-libbed. She then took a dab of the cake after he slaps her down on it. She takes a dab of the cake and says, needs a little lemon. Yep, it's great. It's a great moment. Yeah. Now, I I just uh, met and sort of worked with recently Gavin McLeod, who seems like one of the nicest people. Yes. Yes, absolutely. He was one of the seven years of sweetness, you can say. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Gavin uh, uh, lived from day to day <laughs> laughing at Ted. Uh, Ted. Ted just just tickled the crap out of Lila Gavin, God. And he uh, he he was almost a a. Ch- I channeled Ted through Gavin. Another time, there was a, I don't know, mid-season or maybe late, late series, who knows. Uh, we're, Gavin and I are in the stands, and Ted's on stage doing the scene. And we laugh our asses off at him. And then he, uh, he comes over to us and he says, Now, when I do it again, I'm going to try it a different way. Tell me which, which way you guys like. So he did it a different way. It was totally different. And it was still as funny. They laughed our asses off again. And, and, and here, Gavin and I, who strain to get it right one time, are marveling at this bastard who <laughs> does it easily and as effectively two times. Then he comes over again. He says, I'm going to try the third way this time. Tell me what you think. And it was funny, uh, not as funny as the first two, but it was funny. And we, we just couldn't do anything but marvel. Finally, when he shot the scene, he used mostly the, the first method, the first way. And uh, that's what made him memorable. He was brilliant. You know, I listened to Ted Knight. He did a lot of cartoon voiceovers when I was a kid. A lot of superhero shows, and, and uh, you know, you see him in things like Psycho. Oh, yeah. You'd see him in bit parts. You, you'd never had any idea or, or, or inkling that this guy was going to be a great comedian. Yeah. And he yeah. was. All great. he was doing was playing Germans. Yeah, yeah, uh, you, yeah. You, and, and a lot of voiceovers, a lot of cartoon shows in the, in the, yeah, six, in the 60s. Yeah. Well, and, and before he came to California, he was in Connecticut. Uh, doing a, uh, uh, he had a dummy, and he uh, he did, did ventriloquism. I, I'm sure he did it badly, but he had a kid show on. I didn't know that. That's great. Yeah. Now, did you work with Boris Karloff? Yeah, I worked him in, in in the Venetian affair. That's right. Could you tell? I played us- the uh, the Rome CIA chief. And uh, who was it, Robert Vaughn? I believe so. Who, who yeah, was the think, uh, agent? I... Uh, yeah, and I had assigned him uh, to do this. And we filmed at uh, the, uh, uh, what, what is it, Greystoke or Greystone, uh, wonderful Beverly Hills mansion. Was it Robert Vaughn? Mm-hmm. And what was, what was Boris Karloff like? I've always been a big fan. Well, he he was like a very nice, calm, reserved. I I didn't exchange that many pleasantries with him. We we didn't have that much to, together. But uh, he just very calm and and reserved and uh, very very pleasant. Ed, Ed, no, uh, no, no hysterics, no histrionics. He he just played it as he usually does. <laughs> we're we're big Karloff fans, Ed. We had his daughter on the show, Sarah Karloff. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's talk about a, a little bit about the early days. Well, did she tell you anything about his history? 
Where did he come from? Well, he was British. I know he, was, he had a British accent, and certainly. And he was part but, Indian. But uh, the name uh, implies uh, Eastern European origin. Uh, oh, no, no, no. His real name was William Henry Pratt. And now in England... He he came up with the name Karloff himself. Yeah, his Boris daughter Karloff. said he had she had no idea where Karloff came from. Boris Karloff's name was William Henry Pratt. He was part, yeah. he was English, part Indian. And I heard in England the reason he came up with the name Boris Karloff as his stage name was I heard in England calling somebody a Pratt is like calling someone a cunt. Boris. Why does he allow that name in England if they're that goddamn sensitive? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> also, you worked with another favorite of ours, Charles Bronson. Oh, yeah. Uh, what did I... Well, I did, uh, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus with him. And... Um, I think, was it a Route 66 I did? I can't remember. Maybe. Either Route 66 I think I might have done with him. Um, you work with Rod Steiger on Route 66. I know that. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. what can you tell us first about Bronson? Well, he was the sweetest person in the world. Wow. I mean, I heard horror stories about him. Unbelievable horror stories. Uh, and, um, uh, the, you know, all I know is that when I, when I was around him, he was as sweet as he could be. Um, I heard on uh, the Jack Plants had that show, the, the, big, uh, the big show or the big tent, something like that, where he was an impresario of uh, a circus. You remember? No, I don't remember that show. Jack Palance? Yeah. So I, I hear that... Uh, that um, Bronson. Bronson came on the show, and uh, at one point, there was a fight, I guess, and that he, uh, he nicked Palance... And that Palance uh, then went crazy and uh, mopped up the floor with him. Really? Yeah, I, I don't know how true it is. That's good stuff. I heard another story about Palance. There was a famous character, uh, a famous um, uh, stuntman named Charlie Buczynski or something like that. Uh, that. That was Bronson's actual name. Yeah, wait a minute. Uh, I can't... I can't remember this guy's name. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he had been a killer in World War II. And somehow or other, they were in an elevator, a bunch of um, he-men. And um, uh, this guy made a remark, and uh, Polans didn't like it. And he looked at this guy. And the guy looked back at Plants. He said, "Don't give me that look. You, 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 you raise—it's like raise one finger at me, and I'll rip your face off." Plants didn't pursue it. Wow. So there's there's always a um, <laughs> there's always a joker, isn't there? Yeah, there's always somebody tougher than you are. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about working with Jack, with uh, the Duke and with the great Howard Hawks Ed, on on uh, on El Dorado. Now, did did would you say? And it wouldn't surprise me at all if he did that. John Wayne hated the Jews. No, I'm not going to say it. I I um he wasn't a brilliant man, <laughs> um, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I mean, and he and he was charming in his own way. Whenever I'd see him, I saw him once after that, 
and he couldn't have been more warm and cordial. And I'm sure that there were Jewish actors or Jewish people in the business that he... Uh, no, I didn't feel hate. I, I, I certainly didn't feel hate. But, of course, he, along with uh, Ward Bond and uh, Roy Brewer, uh, ruined a lot of people's lives. Yeah, I yeah. had heard yeah, John the Red Scare. Wayne and Ward Bond during the Red Scare were turning people in as commies. No, they weren't turning them in. They, they created... Roy Brewer, who was the president of the IATSE, they controlled who got to work. The most notable case, and she's about to be honored, is Marsha Hunt. Now, uh, uh, um, what's his name? Stanley Kramer and, uh, and I think it was Sinatra. We're producing a movie, uh, and um, um, she had gone to D.C. with the committee for the First Amendment uh, to to uh, complain about UAC, and because she had done that, the House of Un-American Activities, yeah. Activities Committee, yeah, yeah, because she had done that. Um, uh, Kramer, Kramer, and uh, Sinatra wanted to use her in this film, and uh, got a call from that organization that Wayne and Bond and and uh, Brewer controlled, saying that they they couldn't uh, they couldn't use her, uh, or they would they would get protests and you know picketing and all that. So, oh, come on, there must be. Well, okay, she, they said. She can work in the film if she apologizes. So they then went to Marsha Hunt, and I said that, that you can have the job if you apologize. Write a letter of apology. And she said, apologize for what? I said, I won't write it. They couldn't use her. And she went on to do wonderful, lovely service for people here in L.A. when she couldn't work as an actress. And she, she had a, a good spring off as a young starlet. So she had a career ahead of her. And they helped nip that bud. Wow. Ed, what do you remember about making a movie that Gilbert and I like? We had Danny Aiello on the show recently. You made a movie with him and Paul Newman called Fort Apache, the Bronx. Called what? Fort Apache, the Bronx. With Paul Newman. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was a, he was a real... Uh, uh, that, that was uh, probably one of his first big breaks. Danny, yeah. And he, um, he uh, throws a kid off the... Of, the roof in the in that movie, yeah, and has a big fight with uh, Paul Newman, but he um, he was quite something. Um, did, did you have my somebody? my only contact with him was uh, during lineup? I'm talking to the uh, to the lined up officers, giving them their morning spiel, and. Um, He's playing sleepy up until that point. So, in the middle of my speech, he drops his uh, his uh, nightstick, and it clatters on the floor, and everybody freezes. And it wasn't uh, it wasn't in the script. And I stand over there, look at him, look, look, look. And I say, pick it up. But he sheepishly picks it up. And we go on. And that was my contact with Danny Ayala. <laughs> Is it? Do I have it right that you had some ideas for that movie that, that fell on deaf ears? Yeah. What, are you, what do you hear these things? I do a lot of research, Ed. We, we my heard, God. <laughs> we heard my a lot God. of it from Perfecto Tellings. <laughs> he does research for no, us. You know, there were, there were two cops um, 
who were like the advisors. So the, the, supposedly, Fort Apache was their story. There are two cops. And um, um, at the end of the show, Paul Newman comes in, and he's turning in his badge because he's disgusted with what's happened. His girlfriend's been killed, and uh, riots, and, and uh, uh, all, all provoked about by my coming in and taking over the precinct. You were Chief Connolly. Yeah. Right. So uh, he's ready to walk out, and I I give him a big goddamn speech about it. You know, we're, we're the barrier between them, uh, you know, uh, and uh, the thin blue line, blah, 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 blah. And, and, uh, and I went to the director, the writer, uh, everybody, and uh, I said, this guy's done more to create this chaos than anybody else. Why can't you have this last scene written whereby Newman says, okay, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take, I'll keep my badge, but I want you to know I'm going to watch you very closely. And wherever and whenever I can, I'm going to blow the whistle on you to tell you what you've done to create this kind of chaos. And because I was weak and I was wasn't that uh, I didn't have that much stature to 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 make this kind of change, uh, everybody said, "Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, okay." So they didn't they didn't really listen to your ideas. No. no. And and what what do you remember of Paul Newman? He was a beautiful guy. Very lovely. He was nice to be with. He certainly was cute. <laughs> and and, and he, he did he did good things with uh, with his money. Oh, he and sure his did. Talent. Sure did. What do you, what do you remember about working with Elvis? Ed, you worked with Elvis on Kid Galahad and then on and Change of Habit. That both times he was a different person the, the second time than it was the first. But both times he was a lovely guy. How was he different? No problems. Worked hard. First time he had a quite an entourage following him around, good old boys. But um, and his hands were all chopped up, knocked up, because he's in in the middle of his uh, karate period, breaking boards and all that crap. But uh, by the time we did change of habit, he was. Uh, He's not breaking boards anymore. I think he was breaking hearts. Oh. Now, now, change of habit, you worked with someone who would be very important in your career. Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> is, is it true that you and Mary did not really uh, get acquainted? No, on we, did, we didn't touch each other. I never saw her even. Really? Yeah. She never came out of her trailer and uh, rubbed elbows. Well, I don't even think she was called in the days I was supposed to work. Interesting. Yeah. Now, we have to talk about this, Ed. You've done a million voices for animated shows and movies, The Simpsons and Duckman and Batman and American Dad and a show I actually worked on called Angry Beavers. We have, <laughs> we have to talk about Up, about Pixar's Up. Yeah. I mean, uh, your agent submitted you for that role? Did they, did they kind of write it with you in mind? What, what happened? I don't think they wrote it with me in mind. My agent submitted me for it. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't pay attention. Mm-hmm. And w- uh, not until later did I find out that I was doing a reading of a one-man show about a Holocaust survivor. Um, the Jewish... Uh, um, it's It's a Holocaust survivor... Who's now suffering dementia? Yeah, I think yeah. It was. And uh, like, the Jews were having a fundraiser in Alameda, so uh, uh, I was asked to, and I was delighted to uh, do a reading of this one-man show, which was a great piece of uh, drama uh, at the fundraiser uh, or for the fundraiser. So little did I know that. Pete Doctor, the chief creator, and uh, uh, 
Uh, Bob. Um, oh, Is it God. Peterson? Bob Peterson. Mm-hmm. Thank you, man. Sure. Um, had come to this fundraiser, saw me do this terribly stark, dramatic uh, Holocaust survivor, and that's when they decided to use me as Carl in Up. Yeah, fascinating. So uh, they saw something in you, and they knew this is the this is the character. I guess so. Yeah, I just saw the biggest butterfly float by. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Gilbert, Gilbert, come back here. <laughs> you named the butterfly Gilbert. Yeah. I'm touched. It's a great. It's a great movie. I've cried watching it many times. It's got the weirdest beginning. Yeah. Weird what? It's got the strangest beginning of oh, you yeah. waiting for a cutesy yeah. cartoon, yeah. and yeah. and it breaks your heart. Yeah, the first it's ten a, minutes. It's a it's a double love story. I refer to it as uh, uh, Ellie, of course, dying, and then uh, and then the battle with the kid until finally you you see he loves the kid. And and were you? Did I read somewhere that you were anxious when it first came out? You saw it three times. You went to see it three times? Yeah, I didn't relax until I saw it the third. First two times it was with 3D, and I don't like 3D. <laughs> I don't either. It was too dark. <laughs> now, and then I saw it in 2D, and I began to relax and, and enjoy what I saw before me. But I, I got to tell you, I did a good voice. Yes, I did a good voice. But uh, Pete Doctor is the genius of that movie. It's got a lot of things going for it. And I heard before yeah. you got the Mary Tyler Moore show, you were looking through the want ads in the papers. I had two bad years in um, L.A. First year was great. I made more money in the six months or seven months I was here than I, I had ever made in the six years I was in New York. So, uh, and then um, around 68, 69, I took a tumble, and uh, the uh, the jobs dried up. As my agent said at the time, he says, I don't know what it is. I go in and, and talk to them in the offices, and they say, oh, yeah, he's great, he's one of them, but they, they never come around to, uh, to hire you. And uh, uh, I think so. I had two bad years, and uh, my son talks about this all the time. I'd go out and get the uh, L.A. Times um, Sunday version with its help wanted ads. I'd somehow buy it as soon as it was dropped off the truck, <coughs> and I'd. Uh, bring it home and be pouring over it uh, late Saturday night, seeing what kind of jobs that I could possibly um, take or get. And it was never anything that uh, was worth pursuing. You were either- I was either too old or I needed a particular training that I didn't have. Glad you stuck with acting, Ed. Yeah, thank God. thank God. You wound up winning a, a Screen Actors Guild Life Achievement Award. Well, yeah, I, I got born. And, I and, got born. And you... Uh, yeah. You starred with Will Ferrell in uh, Elf. Yeah, just tell us a little bit about Elf. Well, I think it's the best Christmas movie there is. Hmm. It's certainly better than that saccharine uh, miracle on 34th Street. <laughs> you know, I, um, I was in Buddy the Elf. You were? The what? Cart- I was in the cartoon version of the movie Elf. They did a cartoon called well, Buddy I know. The I Elf. was in it, too. You, I played Santa Claus in so that. So we worked together. Yeah, they didn't you even know idiot. it. <laughs> We work I, together. I should have canned you. <laughs> <laughs> you and I uh, work together in a movie or a cartoon. This is amazing. Buddy think, the Elf. I think the fact that it was released is amazing if you were in it. 
<laughs> and Gilbert, didn't you play Santa Claus once in something else? I played Santa Claus in a cartoon series, I think Mandy and Billy. And and I played the uh, evil, uh, demented Santa Claus. Well, I can see that happening. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I, I, um, I, you know, the thing about the the, uh, the live action elf, Will Ferrell was so goddamn good that uh, he was he was so funny and charming that he snapped me into such attention that I had to steep myself in my Santa Claus to the extent he was steeped into his uh, version of an elf. Oh, yeah, you had to go deeper into the character, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a fun, it's a very, it's a, a really fun movie. Movie I love. I love it. Me too. I love it. Me too. Okay. And there's nothing nothing funnier than when the uh, the uh, little person I forget his name the wonderful actor oh uh, Peter Dinklage uh, huh Peter Dinklage yeah yeah decides to beat the crap out of him. that's great he's an angry he's an angry <laughs> elf. an angry Dinklage <laughs> that was so funny okay now to wrap things up. We've been talking to my Buddy the Elf co-star, uh, Ed Asner. And um, this is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gil- has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. Hey. And Ed Asner has told us that, uh, informed us that Ted Knight had a great ass... And uh, and uh, that Carl Reiner was a sexual offender. Uh, Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner <laughs> right. was a sexual offender. Right. I'm sorry, oh, yeah. Carl. Yeah. Uh, Carl is the reason Rob Reiner is a sexual offender. Yeah, it's all Carl's fault. Ed, I, I, I just also want to say that, you know, you play Thomas Edison, Norman Cousins, Huey Long, Warren Buffett, the Pope, and Santa Claus. That's range. Why oh, you write Ulysses S. Grant? Oh, and Ulysses S. Grant. <laughs> oh yeah. Gotta throw that in. And t- did I say Thomas yeah. Ed- and Guy Bannister? And there's my one-man show of FDR. Don't forget uh, that. And you played FDR. That is range, my friend. Yeah. Now, yeah. now our, our mutual friend Barry Greenberg tells me that you you do some work with Autism Speaks, and and you have a, a poker tournament. That that's a charity I'm familiar with too. Oh really? Autism speaks. Yeah, Gilbert. Yes. Gilbert does some work. For my the my son is is a project director for Autism Speaks. My younger son uh, has autism, and uh, my grandson has autism. So I'm I'm quite directly, intensely involved in this phenomenal subject. And is there something you can you want to plug, or a, a, is the poker tournament? I'm told is in what September. I believe so, yeah. Okay. I, uh, you, you want the exact date? Yeah, just give us the information. It's a little early. Okay. Uh, what, uh, well, I, I just have, uh, I, my son, who's the uh, project director for, uh, for Autism Speaks, he cons me into doing this poker tournament, and, uh, and I bombed out the last time I played. <laughs> you played Gilbert? No. It's September 12th is when it's scheduled. September 12th in L.A. Yeah, I, I got yeah. involved in, with autism because there was an article in the New York Times of a man who was able to communicate for the first time with his six-year-old son who had autism by imitating my voice from Aladdin. Oh, be goddamn. Yeah. And... and in my voice, he said to him, how do you feel? And he said, I'm, I'm sad. I have no friends. Yeah, Ron Suskind. Ron Suskind? Yeah. Yes. Really? You know Ron? I know that name. I forget how I know him. Well, you know, Gilbert played the parrot in, in the movie Aladdin, in the Disney movie, and that was, yeah. the, that was the character that this child responded he, to. The father put on a parrot puppet. 
of my character and started oh, imitating. For God's sake. He started imitating my voice, and his son, for the first time, reacted, and that was their first conversation. Well, I, I want to tell you, we, I, was that a fundraiser, which my son puts on? It's the third time they've done it, I think. Light, light up the blue, it's called. Light up the blue. Yeah, well, all, all wonderful kinds of of uh, uh, musical performers appear, and um, uh, one of the inner performers at the, uh, the other night's performance was this girl, and I can't remember her name. Uh, but she either she's probably in her early twenties. She sang Ave Maria with a fantastic voice and uh, found out afterwards, or as they announced afterwards, that she had did not speak, that not until she started to sing had she ever spoken. Wow. So the... Uh, the, the the number of marvelous stories that it, that occur and tragic stories too uh in terms of autism in terms of many diseases it's just unbelievable is there is there a, a website uh, ed or or some somewhere where people can go and uh, make contributions oh certainly autism speaks but i don't know the website uh let me if you'll hang on a minute i'll see if if uh, my daughter has it. Yeah. The we'll, one second. Go ahead. We'll edit it in. Why <laughs> we'll we'll that? Is there in. a website to pledge money for Autism Speaks? Is it AutismSpeaks.org? It must be. Pick up the phone. For contributions to Autism Speaks. Okay. It's, uh, just look up autismspeaks.org. We got it. Autismspeaks.org, and your your poker tournament is on September 12th in Los Angeles. Right. It it sounds like a very up-to-date operation you have going there of, hey, do we have a number (laughs) for Autism Speaks? Don't tell me you heard that. (laughs) Oh, how disgusting. My God. That's my favorite oh. part of this yeah. whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, here, wait. Let me let me look up the uh, website. <laughs> hey! Yeah. What's the number? <laughs> for autism speak! What? <laughs> it's a good thing I didn't curse her out while I was doing it. That's great. <laughs> oh, God. Ed, we're so grateful to you for doing this for us today. Well, you're a lot of fun. You were a lot of fun, buddy. We Thank hope, you. We, we hope to Thank see you. you. We'll see you at the tournament. Thanks again. If there's any questions I haven't answered, be sure and call back. We will. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Ed. Thank you. Uh, lots of love, guys. Bye. Thank you. Never forget another password on your computer or iPhone with Dashlane. And it's free. That's right, free. Get it now at D-A-S-H-L-A-N-E dot com slash Gilbert. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it. On the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleichinger, Schleichinger, I've been friends with her for 10 years, one of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash Wait for it, comedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore. Because it's here. And it's funny. And I love you. 
A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and three comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.